Chad Thomas is a Group's Operations Director for IRS Forensic Investigations, which specializes in financial crimes of all types covering all industries. He has over 20 years of experience in law enforcement, and he joins me now to tell me more about himself and his role at the radio station. Chad, welcome, and thanks you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for the invitation. So, Chad, um, I was alerted to your interview because a friend of mine who lives in Northwest Province had picked up the report and sent me Chai FM and said, look, 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 was that you? And I was like, no, 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 that was not me, that was Chad. And then I thought, who is Chad and what kind of work do you do that resulted in you being the, getting the exclusive with um, Mr. Greasy? So, so, let's start off with you are a forensic. Forensic investigators. So the term forensic often gets taken out of context. It refers to any science that's used in the investigation of a crime. In in my specific industry, I investigate financial crime. So the tools at my disposal aren't as great as what you'd see on CSI. We're using the likes of calculators, computers, Excel spreadsheets, that type of thing. So we specialize at IRS in financial and organized crime investigation. And our target market is specifically smaller to medium-sized companies and individuals where if they've been a victim of a fraud – or a financial mismanagement of sorts that could end in a catastrophic event, we're there to try to save their business. So to what extent is um, this kind of fraud happening in South Africa? Is it kind of big but we don't know about it, or is it compared to other crime relatively small? Organized crime in South Africa, especially commercial crime, is on the increase. It's it's severe. Um, when we talk about commercial crime, when we talk about organized crime, we must not forget that Cybercrime is lumped into that as well. And South Africa is a massive target for, for, for cybercrime syndicates. So there's, there's major phishing taking place where we as individuals get these very strange emails that have advanced from the old days of trying to get our banking details or it's a Nigerian printed wants to share his billion dollars in oil with us. It's now become so sophisticated that they're now targeting massive companies that have online databases containing the contact particulars, the credit card particulars of their clients. Base. And we're finding that the trends are changing on a daily basis. And we try to keep abreast of those trends so that our client base can be protected. And one of the most common trends at the moment is where your email address and your website address is, is replicated, that it looks almost identical. And your client base gets sent invoices from your, from your accounts department stating that there's been a change in banking details. When you look at the email address, you don't realize there may be a letter that's different. When you look at the web mail address, it seems like everything's above board. And you turned, you, you end up paying money that you owe to this company into an incorrect bank account. So I actually bumped into somebody just the other day who told me that, uh, all the money from an estate had been wrongly uh, paid into an account that, and she was scammed in that exact way. How would you be able to help her? Well, that, that is so on the increase, and it's specifically with law firms, where law firms are having their information accessed, and we believe that it's a syndicate that's operating in Deed's office. Um, a lot of issues relating to tra- tra- property transfers and um, with conveyancing where um, the information is known to a third party that a property transfer is about to take place, you'll get an email purportedly from your attorney to say it's time to now make payments on the transfer duties or on the actual sale price. And it turns out that that email isn't actually from your attorney. It's from the syndicate. So just, I mean, that sounds, uh, 
is it not then somebody, is that phishing or is that somebody in the know has the information that's passing it on? Is it more like less sinister than phishing? That's definitely somebody in the know. So we would, we would want to look at who would have had access to your information. So your information isn't just confined to your attorney where there's privilege. If he's registering a bond on your behalf, the deeds office will know about it. If there's an estate, the master's office will know about it. So there's definitely people within these departments that are sharing this information with the syndicates because the information is good because the amounts are right. That's right. And uh, like this person that I bumped into, she was completely innocent to what was going on because it was so professional and it was it resonated with what was due to to happen. And it was only when they said you haven't paid that money did she have that sinking feeling that she had been a victim of fraud, which indeed she had. I think we have to take our break now, Chad. But after the break, we're going to explore a little bit more on commercial crime. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I'm talking to Chad um, Thomas, who is a colleague of mine at High FM, at least. And we're talking about commercial crime, and, it, and it's on the increase, and it's becoming increasingly sophisticated. Chad, your company, you would be able to help get that money back. Would you be able to – does money ever – and I'm not only talking about that case, but I'm talking about if we look at corruption in the country, wherever. Does money ever get paid back? Yes. We are so fortunate. We've got incredible <laughs> legislation in South Africa. In terms of the Criminal Procedure Act, which normal people are prosecuted according to, there's a section, Section 300, which allows for financial restitution as part of the sanction. In terms of the Prevention of Organized Crime Act of 1998, it allows the Asset Forfeiture Unit to apply for a preservation order to freeze assets and for those assets to then be liquidated and for victims to be paid out. So, yes, it does happen. We just don't hear about it that often because a lot of this legislation doesn't get used as effectively as it should have. Another piece of legislation that's been reintroduced by the president last week and he appointed a judge this week for that specific purpose was the reestablishment of the Special Investigating Unit Tribunal. And that tribunal focuses on government employees that have been linked to corruption so that they can recover that money by disposing of assets that may have been bought with that money or the freezing of accounts. That was introduced in the in the mid to late 90s by Judge Willem Heath when he still headed up the Heath Special Investigating Unit. It's something that fell by the wayside. The reintroduction of it and the speed in which uh, the president appointed a judge to head that up shows me that all the boxes have been ticked and I remain optimistic that we're turning the corner. Um, it's good to hear that. And in terms of being optimistic in, turn, in, in recovering money, what happens if that money is gone now? If the money is gone, the victim doesn't have any recourse. They need to move as quickly as possible. The minute they realize that a fraud has been perpetrated, they have to ensure a case is registered. And herein lies the problem. When it's a complex case, and you take it to the South African police services, to the local station to open. The police officer behind the counter may not necessarily have the knowledge needed to open that sophisticated case. And you can't just walk into the office of the Hawks to open a case, just like you couldn't walk into the office of the disbanded Scorpions. Um, so, so that is why private investigators have become so important. They can write the statement, prove the element, and get the necessary evidence in as fast a time as possible so the case can be registered and escalated to the correct authorities. And I always say there's a symbiotic relationship between private sector law enforcement and state law enforcement. Neither of us can, can work without the other. 
So the best thing for anybody who is, has been a victim of fraud is to go through you. I, I don't want to sound like an advert or, or, or to punt myself. So to find, you know what, there's a lot of good lawyers that have experience in criminal law. So if you know a lawyer that's experienced in criminal law, chat to them. They can do much the same. Um, audit firms, there's a lot of audit firms that have forensic divisions. Private investigators um, that, that, are, that are not in the game to spy on a spouse that's cheating on another spouse but are specialists in financial crime investigation can also be approached. But there are other avenues. Um, we need to, because we, I'm just conscious of the time, need to maybe turn the tension of the interview more towards Greasy and how you secured him as um, someone to speak to. I'm, I'm very fortunate, and I'll tell you why. As a private investigator, and, and for most private investigators, there will always be controversy linked to them. Private investigators don't make friends. The clients that you have are negative because they've been prejudiced and they're hoping that you'll be able to make a difference for them. And that's not always possible. The person or people you're going after that have prejudiced these people are also negative. So you've got two negative parties, and unlike electricity, that doesn't make a positive. <laughs> so I'm fortunate that I have a reputation of being very, very fair. I'm not a bully. I speak to people and I look at each case objectively. And I think we were just very lucky to secure that interview because another whistleblower that's linked to that particular case of Basasa had approached us previously. And we treated her very fairly. We gave her the necessary advice. She went to the necessary parties. And she was the one who actually said to Angelo, you should, ch- you should chat to Chad if you ever want to come out and do something live. And what was it like being in the hot seat then? You know, um, it's, it's fascinating. I've, I've interviewed murderers. I've interviewed people that lock up murderers. I was fortunate enough to interview Pete Bailafout before he passed away, who was the serial killer expert um, in, in South Africa, if not one of the best in the world. We've had generals from intelligence on the show. We've had controversial generals from the Hawks. So it wasn't much different because the personality and the persona that surrounds these type of people is very, very similar. So one just has to be able to listen to them Give them that forum and allow them to talk. You can't come in scripted. You can't expect them to answer set questions. You have to guide them and let them take control. Chad, you've said something so interesting in that um, is there a personality type, you would think, that leads people to do the work that, that they do, to behave in certain ways? Oh, most definitely. Really? Most definitely. So it's um, not environment, it's personality, how you're brought up. What, what, what is that personality? I would say that nature and nurture plays a role. If you look at your opportunistic criminals, if you look at, 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 at crimes that involve violence, etc., that could very well be nurture. But I believe very strongly that some people are born to be bad and that evil does exist in some people. You know, when I was at school and I was at Pretoria Girls High, part of our debating club was to go to a court. And I remember it was um, a murder case. And... I kept looking at the guy to see if there was a murderer has a specific look about him. And I have to say it was quite creepy, but um, that was my kind of last experience in court. Um, do you think they, again, do you think things like that manifest itself on people? I think that a lot of people have been brought up in abject poverty and they've risen above it and they've never used it as an excuse to commit a crime. You've then had people who are born into money who have committed crimes. And one just has to look at the personality behind Barry Tannenbaum to understand that you don't have to have come from abject poverty to 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 basically defraud people from your, your very own community. So I maintain that people are born in some instances with a, a bad gene.
I can't believe we have got to start wrapping up. Um, people are born with a bad gene. Um, well, I mean, it almost seems just to finish that sentence, finish that thought, then that depend, would you say depending on your circumstances, depending on the type of crime you would commit? 100%. If a child is raised in abject poverty and is subject to beatings on a daily basis and witnesses beatings on a daily basis, they become numb to it and they will then enact that on another person. You normally find the bully in school themselves were bullied somewhere along the line and that, that superiority that they try obtain out of bullying somebody is actually to override the inferiority that they feel about themselves. But when it comes to your, your white-collar criminal, they are generally sociopathic, narcissistic individuals, and they just believe they're untouchable. Well, I can see, Chad, why you, your show on Chai FM has been running for over six years. Um, it's an absolutely fascinating topic. Thank you so much for joining me, and well done for the coup. Thank you. Good Shabbos to you and the listeners. Thank you very much. Good Shabbos, Chad.